Welcome to AEM Early Access, a collaboration between Brown University Emergency Medicine and the editors of the Academic Emergency Medicine Journal. I'm Dr. Gita Pensa, and here's what we've got for you today. By this time, you may have heard of the hashtag, this is our lane, where many emergency physicians, trauma surgeons, and other healthcare workers who regularly care for the victims of gun violence flexed their social media muscles in response to an NRA tweet telling them to stay in their lane. Many, but not all, physicians have advocated for a public health approach to gun violence. And emergency physicians are in a unique position to advocate for gun safety to their patients and their communities. They also face a significant risk of encountering a firearm in the course of a day's work, either with the direct threat of violence or having to handle one surrendered by or smuggled in by a patient, for example. Certainly many physicians are gun owners and know how to converse about and safely handle firearms, but many physicians do not. Today we're talking about a new study in AEM entitled Emergency Providers' Familiarity with Firearms, a National Survey. First author, Dr. Andrew Ketterer, is here with us to discuss it. Dr. Ketterer is Assistant Program Director at Beth Israel Deaconess Emergency Department of the Harvard-affiliated Emergency Medicine Residency Program, and his primary interests are gun violence and medical education. Be sure to read the full text of this article available on our blog at browniemblog.com, open access for the month of March 2020. Dr. Ketterer, thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. So my first question for you is, how did you become interested in researching gun violence? So this ultimately started um, when I was in residency. I was, it was the end of my third year in residency. Um, and there was a, um, I think kerfluffle is the technical term, um, at uh, the emergency department where I was working, where there was a victim of gun violence who got brought in and then a number of his friends and family um, showed up in the waiting room, and then a number of people who were definitely not his friends and family showed up in the waiting room. And tensions obviously escalated, and ultimately the police had to be called to clear out both the waiting room, and this whole thing spilled over into the street and presented a big risk to everyone in the immediate neighborhood. And the question, I was working with my chair at the time, and the question, question kind of came up, you know, if a gun were to fall out onto the ground, or if I were to be responsible in some way for removing the gun from the environment, would I know what to do? Would I know exactly like how to not shoot myself or somebody else while doing that? Do I have a clear understanding of gun safety to be able to do anything like that? And the answer for me was definitely no. And it got us to kind of talking about, well, really, I mean, what, how many physicians actually do know how to do this sort of thing? And how many physicians actually have a familiarity with um, gun safety and uh, issues surrounding that? And that kind of bloomed into the questions that I started asking and um, turned into this paper, among other things. So to set the stage, gun violence is an enormous problem in the United States, and we've had a raging debate even among physicians as to whether it is actually a public health problem. And so as it serves as the basis of this paper, is it? Um, well, I think that my probably my opinion on this is kind of implicit from the paper itself, but the I think it's difficult to see gun violence in really any other light. Um, a common... Um, analogy that's drawn, which I think is pretty apt, is, you know, guns are tools like cars are tools. And in the 1960s and 70s, um, a huge public health campaign was initiated to decrease the 
trauma associated with car accidents and increased safety in cars and regulations got put on the industry in terms of car construction and everything. Um, and I think the same sorts of things should be existing with guns. I mean, the only real difference between cars and guns is the fact that we don't have a constitutionally inscribed right to own and operate cars. Um, but that doesn't mean that, um, you know, safety and prevention of uh, injuries associated with guns um, are antithetical to the, our constitutional rights. And I think that, like I say, it's pretty hard to see them in any light other than a public health one, particularly for emergency physicians and trauma surgeons who are tasked with taking care of people who are victims of trauma of whatever sort, gun violence among them. So one thing I think we can agree on widely is that no matter how you characterize it, gun violence is a problem that emergency physicians encounter often. And the threat of gun violence in our own EDs is real. Mm -hmm. Most physicians have a story, I think, yeah. about encountering firearms in one way or another. In my own ED some time ago, a gun fell out of a patient's waistband um, when he was having CPR. He was found down totally unrelated to a firearm injury, but in the course of moving him from the EMS stretcher to the ED stretcher, a gun that turned out to be loaded fell out of his pants. And I think that that's a story that is really not that uncommon. Mm -hmm. Also, patients and visitors can try to deliberately bring guns into the ED with the potential for violence and not every ED has metal detectors or amped up security. So tell me, what specific questions did you set out to answer in your study and why do you feel these are important? So when I came up with a lot of these questions, it was exactly the type of scenario that uh, you just described that I had in mind is, you know, there is a gun that becomes apparent in the clinical context and the physicians who are taking care of, say, a trauma patient or somebody that they just happen to be alone in a room with are tasked with removing it safely from the clinical environment until security can get there to remove it. That's the sort of scenario that I had in mind. Now, obviously, that doesn't happen every day, but um, I think there are a lot of good reasons for physicians, emergency physicians in particular, um, to become familiar with at least the basics of gun safety. Um, I think a, a huge one is the fact that uh, we are, you know, we take care of people who are not only victims of gun violence, but people who are um, at high risk for uh, gun violence, people with suicidality, people with um, who are victims of domestic violence, and so on. And I think that we have a responsibility to talk about gun safety to those patients as well as more general care uh, in terms of guidance for um, our pediatric patients, for example. Um, and it's only really possible to do that um, if you have at least some familiarity with the basics of gun safety yourself. A lot of the literature that does exist out there um, documents basically that um, the kind of low regard that a lot of patients have for physicians in terms of being sources of um, uh, information for gun safety um, has to do with the fact they don't view physicians as being reliable uh, sources of that information because they don't think that they know what they're talking about. And when even when you survey physicians, uh, this is actually a huge barrier in terms of providing counseling to patients about um, you know, safe storage at home or about the options for giving up your guns if you um, have a history of depression and start to notice that um, that is becoming uh, more and more of a, of a burden on you. Um, and a, a big barrier to that when you ask physicians about it is the fact that, well, we, we don't really know what the basics are in terms of gun safety. We don't really know what our options are for our patients. And so we don't, and that barrier tends to prevent us from talking to them about it. So I think one of the things I was trying to assess was sort of a needs assessment for how much experience do we actually have, uh, we as a group of physicians, emergency physicians in particular. 
how much experience do we have handling guns? Um, how much of a problem is this for us? How often do we actually see guns or encounter guns um, on a, uh, when, while we're at work in the emergency department? Um, and how comfortable would we be um, you know, removing a gun from the clinical context if we were to be tasked with that immediate, uh, with that immediate need? Great. So in the introduction to your paper, you mentioned some previous work and surveys. Can you describe what was known about this topic previously? Yeah, so I mean, the short answer is really pretty much nothing. Um, the um, one of the papers that I refer to was a pilot study that my colleagues and I rolled out at a couple of different medical centers in the Northeast and the Upper Midwest, um, which was really kind of looking at you know what do we how do we how do we frame these questions how do we uh, get a feel for what the actual uh, uh, experience with guns is among our colleagues, um, and it was the the medical centers that we were looking at were. Um, urban academic centers and uh, the experience that the respondents had with guns was even lower than what I uh, saw in the in the national paper that we're discussing today. Um, but beyond that one pilot study, there really isn't much out there really truly as a needs assessment. I mean, there's the studies among pediatricians and psychiatrists and so on, um, which documents, you know, lack of personal familiarity, reported lack of personal familiarity with guns as being a barrier to patient counseling, but it doesn't really document, you know, how often do you actually handle guns? It doesn't document how comfortable would you be removing a gun from the clinical context or anything like that. And as far as I know, there really isn't much out there that does. So let's talk about your methods. It was a 15-question survey sent out through the U.S. Acute Care Solutions email listserv. So so why go through U.S. Acute Care Solutions? Was that a a broad enough sample, do you feel? Are Are they in every state? They are, they are not in every state. They are in, um, the sample that we had was uh, from 22 different states um, all across the country in various regions. Um, and this was, it was a convenience sample for one thing. So the reason that um, I, we used the U.S. Acute Care Solutions listserv was because uh, one of my colleagues who's in an education research group, who's the senior author on this study, Amar Aldine, um, also happens to be the chief medical officer for U.S. Acute Care Solutions. And so we got to talking about this question, and he became interested in everything. We talked about ways to roll this out on a more nationwide basis, so we're not just kind of picking and choosing um, from people I know at other academic institutions, and we actually get a sample of uh, community uh, providers, for example. Um, U.S. Acute Care Solutions has uh, a lot of advantages in terms of the EDs that it staffs for the purpose of a study like this. Um, it has both academic institutions as well as community-oriented uh, institutions, and it has a broad range of provider environments from urban to rural to suburban and so on. So it, prevents, it presents a fairly adequate snapshot of uh, the range of emergency care that exists out there and the providers that work within environments like that. Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about your methods, and can you tell us what the survey questions were? Sure. Um, so you know, in terms of how how many times we reminded people to do this, we uh, we sent out the survey electronically to this email listserv. And the advantage of that was that we didn't have any identifiers among the uh, respondents so that when somebody responded, it was completely anonymously. So we felt that, that was a um, good way to get honest answers to some questions which could be seen as uh, sensitive, such as, you know, are, how often do you handle firearms outside of work? How often do you see guns or encounter guns in the ER and so on? Um, we sent a total of three reminders uh, to get the response rate that we ultimately decided on was uh, was fine. And um, the, our, the questions that we involved uh, were there were some demographic questions. You know, where did you grow up? What uh, sex do you identify? Or what gender do you identify with? What type of place do you work at? Like a trauma center and so on. 
Uh, but then with the firearms questions, um, there were a lot of sort of personal perception type questions. So how many times during the week do you feel unsafe with regards to your physical well-being while you are at work in the emergency department? How often do you personally encounter firearms in your emergency department or immediately around it? If you were to encounter a firearm in a patient's possession, how confidently do you feel you could safely handle it until it could be turned over to law enforcement and questions like that. Great. So let's talk about your results. You had some interesting regional findings. Mm -hmm. So uh, what what would you like to highlight? So the big one is that, um, or the I think the most interesting one is, well, a couple of different questions. It's the fact that emergency providers' familiarity with firearms and level of training and degree to which they handle firearms outside of the clinical context basically tracks with regional rates of firearms ownership. So in states with the highest quartile of firearms ownership, you see the highest percentage of respondents to our survey reporting that they handle firearms on a daily or weekly basis. And uh, conversely, in low in states with low uh, rates of firearms ownership, you see lower rates of that exact same thing. So that's maybe not surprising because physicians are um, you know, or not just physicians, but APPs as well, um, are a microcosm of the general population. What's a little bit more interesting is that the rate at which firearms are encountered in the emergency department does not appear to vary significantly, regardless of how um, high the level of gun ownership is in the surrounding community. And I don't have a clear explanation for that. I don't know why someone in, say, Massachusetts, uh, where the rate of firearms ownership is fairly low, would encounter firearms at the same rate in the ER as someone who lives in, say, Arkansas or Alaska or Wyoming, for example, where you have much higher rates of gun ownership. Um, probably part of that is uh, security personnel who happen to have firearms. Um, and while that might initially be seen as reassuring, there are data out there which show that about 50% of hospital-based shootings um, are done with a firearm taken from a security person or a, uh, or a police officer. Um, so just the very presence of firearms in, at least in the healthcare environment, does present a risk for uh, patient and staff safety um, for that for that very reason. So even if you take that possibility into into account, that is not reassuring. The, um, the other big thing that kind of came out of this study was that, kind of contrary to what you would expect, regions with high rates of firearms ownership um, actually had higher perceptions of workplace safety. And I don't have a clear explanation for that based on the data there in the study. It's very likely that there are some unmeasured confounding factors that exist that we just didn't capture because we didn't, for example, ask about availability of, um, for example, psychiatric care uh, or the length of wait times for um, inpatient placement or any of the other factors that might contribute to an unsafe environment in the emergency department. And it seems likely to me that a lot of the regional variability that we see with that is probably due to underlying confounding factors that aren't related to firearms, but uh, I just I, I can't say one way or another based on that. It is interesting, like I say, that um, you do see increased perceptions of workplace safety in places with higher rates of gun ownership, because that is contrary to what you'd expect. Right. Are there any other limitations you want to talk about? Yeah, I think that, well, I mean, like any survey study, um, the risk, there are just inherent biases. I mean, rec uh, recall bias, for one thing, uh, one of the things we ask about is, have you ever received formal, informal, or no firearms training? And while it's, it seems unlikely that people would be um, unable to recall or inaccurately recall formal firearms training, like if you were in the Army, for example, or um, say, Cub Scouts or Boy Scouts, and you had formal rifle retraining or something like that, 
Um, the informal aspect is uh, something that's a little bit less clear because someone may forget, for example, that they went to a shooting range on a bachelor party, for example, uh, and they uh, you know, fired a handgun under those circumstances. Um, I think the other uh, major limitation that I want to cite is that, uh, so while the U.S. Acute Care Solutions um, group is overall, I think, a pretty good snapshot, it doesn't capture all of what exists in emergency care out there. So, for example, um, USACS does not staff county programs or county hospitals, uh, for example, and the overall proportion of academic programs in USACS is lower than what exists in hospitals across the nation generally. Um, we also can't say that based on these 22 states that that's truly representative of all the states that are out there, um, all emergency providers in all regions of the country, but that being said, I think that um, that particular limitation is mitigated by the fact that we did analyze regions according to rates of gun ownership, which takes the um, kind of geographic specific uh, variability out of the question and probably more accurately answers the questions that we were trying to ask. So maybe we need some more research in this area, which brings I me to so. my final yes. questions. <laughs> First, what comes next for, for you or your team in this arena? And secondly, if we do establish that there is indeed a need for emergency physicians to become more familiar with the safety and the use of firearms, what is your vision for how that might be achieved? Yeah, so it gets into kind of my other my other area of interest, which is um, physician education, particularly. I think that um, my, the next steps, from my perspective, are um, I think this does serve as a pretty good needs assessment for what exists out there. I think that um, there really isn't much training for emergency physicians in particular, and probably physicians generally, uh, in terms of basic firearm safety practices. And I think that certainly programs to at least describe what safe storage means or what the safety um, mechanisms of handguns versus long guns and uh, semi-automatic rifles versus shotguns or whatever, um, wh what those safety me mechanisms might look like and how they might vary across firearms. Because that really does get down to, you know, if we are counseling patients about this or if we are advocating, advocating for these uh, for, for anything on a, on a policy level, we really should be versed in the specifics of what firearm safety truly looks like and what the options truly are. And as far as what exists in the literature, there really isn't much standardized out there. And I think that that's kind of the next big set of projects that I'm interested in embarking on. I'm not advocating that, you know, a standard part of physician training should be to everybody go out to a gun range and um, get hands-on experience with guns. I think that's impractical from both a, a financial and logistical standpoint, and also probably isn't necessary to get the information across that needs to be gotten across. I think um, a little bit more useful would be, again, a set of curricula that describe, okay, this this is what gun, what, what the engineering around handguns and long guns looks like. This is what patients own and use firearms for, and these are the options in terms of safety techniques and home storage techniques and uh, things that you can do to counsel your patients on um, whenever you happen to uh, embark on these conversations in immediate patient care. And using those same techniques, if you are working in an emergency department or um, even like primary care clinic or anywhere and um, the you are tasked with removing a, a gun, the safety techniques that you have been taught um, in, in the standard curriculum that I'm describing would be applicable to what you need to do in order to make sure that you, your patients, and your staff are safe. Well, thank you so much for your research and for your time today coming here on the podcast. It was great talking with you. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to this month's AEM Early Access. Find the full text of this article on our blog at brownemblog.com. Subscribe to this series on iTunes. Search for AEM Early Access, all one word. Today's music is by Scott Holmes. I'm Gita Pensa, and we'll see you next time.